0: Well, good morning to the rest of you uh, teenagers and old people that are sticking around. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Chris Snyder. I'm the youth pastor up in the the Spirit Lake Crosswinds. So what Stephen does down here, I do up there. In fact, we're switching this morning. He's preaching up there. And uh, I I apologize that my wife and kids aren't here to, to be with us today but you know, they, were, they were excited to hear us preaching down here, and they were going to come, and then they heard Stephen was up there, and they, well, I'll just let that speak for itself. So they're up there hearing Stephen. He'll be down here next week with that message. Uh, I think I tell you this every time I'm here. We are so blessed to have Jordan and Stephen, aren't we, though? I mean, what a dynamic duo. I know. Um, praise God. And then one other thing, and, and you can clap or not clap, but this occurred to me this morning. This could very well be the last time I preach in this building, because I come down to fill pulpit every once in a while. It's coming, oh, oh, Dick, I didn't, okay, I get it, Dick, you're funny. Uh, Guys, that building is coming along, and and that's so exciting. I heard maybe six weeks, maybe two months out, but it's coming along, so um, basically, before I even jump in, thank God. Thank God for what he's doing down here in Spencer. Um, What a congregation, what a staff you guys have, and and I want to thank you. I I always love coming down, even though some of you are really hard on me, so uh, with that said, uh, we are in the series this summer on, on basically like what questions would you want to ask God if you could ask God anything kind of. And this morning we're looking at what does the Bible say about forgiveness, forgiveness and bitterness. And when I saw this, I signed up for it. Now I'll tell you this real quick. About a year ago, I was wrestling through a little bit of bitterness, anger, and forgiveness myself. Um, I'll just share this. I have a friend who's a pastor. And he was going over to Israel for, a, for an Israel tour, which is just so cool. I want to do that sometime in my life. And he's going over there, and he gets a hold me. He goes, Chris, I don't, I don't really have any good luggage. Do you have, like, a good suitcase that could hold a couple weeks worth of stuff and do an international flight? And I said, yeah. I said, you know, when Bridget and I got married, like, 20 years ago, we got really good luggage from one of our family members, and it's held up. And yeah, you can absolutely borrow it. So I let him borrow my, my suitcase. Like, you know when you get a luggage set, you got the big one, right? Dad's suitcase. So you got the big one. And I let him borrow it. And, you know, he gets back. And I don't see the suitcase for a little while. Several months go by, and finally I'm just like, hey man, can I get that back? Because I got a trip coming up, I need that. And he goes, oh man, I kind of forgot to tell you. It went through a lot when it was going to Israel and back, and it got kind of banged up, and it's kind of been sitting in my my barn. He's got an acreage with a barn. He goes, it's kind of been sitting in my barn for the last several months, and uh, I'll bring it back, but it's in bad shape. So the morning comes, we're gonna go out and do lunch, and he comes, and he walks in my office, and he has this different suitcase. It's a brand new suitcase, and I, his name's Dave. And I go, Dave, what's up? And he goes, man, he goes, your suitcase was just in bad shape. I decided I'd rather get you a new one. And I want you to get this real quick, okay? Uh, what went through my mind was, man, like, like we had a matching set. It was like bright red. And so when you're at the airport and all those black, boring suitcases come up, it says bright red luggage, right? And I'm like, Dave, you know, I, I really just wish I had my one back. Do you still have it? And he goes, well, yeah, but it's in bad shape. And you know, Here's what happens is he had gone to Walmart and bought like the nice, and we don't have a JCPenney's up in Spur Lake, so he, you know, we don't have a lot of selection. But he goes to Walmart, buys the nicest like a $100 suitcase, and he's got it for me. And I just reject it. I shut him down. I'm like, I really don't want your suitcase. I want my suitcase back. Please. Dave. So he brings it back, and it comes back with like spiders all over it, and spiders webs, and spiders eggs. And I'm like, man, he didn't clean out. So check this out. Check this out. You got two pastors And not that we're better than anybody else, but we we ought to kind of like be able to forgive and move on, right? You got two pastors, you got a holy trip to the holy land and a suitcase, and all of a sudden, I'm mad at him for kind of trashing my suitcase. He's hurt by me because he tried to replace it, and I kind of shut him down. And we kind of had to get to a point where we said, are we going to lose the friendship over a suitcase? Over a suitcase. And I said, no, no, you're way too important to me. He said, maybe I'll think about it. No, he didn't. I'm joking, okay? But do you realize, Dave and I, two pastors, we love Jesus. It's a suitcase. And we had issues over that. So I'm telling you, when I saw forgiveness as one of the topics to be covered, I said, sign me up. But here's the other reason I signed up for this one. If you remember when we signed up for these questions, we put it in the bulletin, and you all kind of did a survey and picked. And I'm going to tell you, number one was forgiveness. And you picked three things of that list of like 20 and 59% of the people, 58, 59% of the people chose forgiveness as one of your top three things. So I'm not the only one, people, that gets bent out of shape over suitcases, right? Right? And so, so a lot of us, now can I tell you second place was at like 38%. So what that tells me is between Spirit Lake and between Spencer, a lot of us want to know about forgiveness. Now I think we probably have a pretty good idea of what the Bible says about forgiveness. But if you're anything like me, it's I need a constant reminder of how to do it and why to do it so that's where we're at this morning that's where we're at um let's see i'm going to jump in right here let me uh pray for us and then we'll, we'll open the word lord i just come before you and and we're going to look at the holy word the holy bible today but lord we need your holy spirit as well because this is this is not a head lesson lord this this is heart and and some of this is things that we've done that might have been terrible or we've just let them slide and we haven't apologized but some of this is stuff that has been done to us It might have been done a lot. It might have been done a long time ago. It might be a huge thing. But, Lord, forgiveness is something that's super important to you. And so, Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would be working during the message today to really get our attention and to really just show us what do you want of us. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. All right, so if you would, um, let's turn to Matthew 18. But as you're getting there, I'm going to look at a proof text real quick. Proof text. Um, one thing I want to touch on real quick before we get to forgiveness is bitterness. Bitterness. In Ephesians, the apostle Paul says, "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another." as God in Christ forgave you. Now, if you went to Galatians 5, you would see the fruit of the Spirit and the acts of sinful nature. Remember that? We have like these two lists. This is kind of a mini list that Paul gives. He says, look, before Christ or apart from Christ, bitterness is pretty natural. But when you are following Jesus, grace and forgiveness should mark you. It should define you. Also, don't miss the last part of this. He says it's not just that you're asked to do it. It's because you've been forgiven. Okay? So uh, John MacArthur is a pastor I like to listen to a lot. Um, He says it this way. In one of his messages, he said, it isn't the offense that destroys the relationship. It's the inability to forgive that destroys the relationship. Offenses will come. And if you think about it, I mean, literally, do this right now. Think of any significant relationship you have, whether it's husband-wife or with kids or with parents, whether it's coworkers whether it's friends, any significant relationship you have, most likely there has been multiple times where there were offenses and there was forgiveness. I mean, stepping on each other's toes just happens in long, real relationships. It does. And so what, what MacArthur is saying here is, look, every single relationship we have that's significant is going to have some offenses. Those don't kill the relationship. Relationships ought to be able to make it through there. It's not being able to deal with those rightly. Um, So if you're in Matthew 18, we're going to be looking at 23 through 35 this morning, but I'm going to walk us up to that, okay? Because oftentimes in Scripture, when you open right up to where you're at, there's a context you're entering into. And so if we were to start at verse 10 through 15, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. Remember, one sheep is lost, and the the shepherd leaves the many to go find the one, So he sets it up with that. He's talking about the lost sheep and God's desire for the lost. And then he gets to talking about restoring a Christian that's in sin. And can I tell you this real quick? Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, this is like church textbook right here, okay? You can take this two ways. It's how to reconcile with a person. Now, sometimes it can mean like, like, um, as, as I'm looking around, uh, Grant, you and I know each other, right? You've been on mission trips with me, right? Let's say on the mission trip, I do something that hurts Grant, okay? This could be taken, as far as Grant reads Matthew 18, says, okay, this is the order of, of you know, Chris hurt me, so I go to him, I say what he did, and we talk this out, okay? You can apply that, like, person to person, friend to friend, but it can also be applied, like, for church leadership. Like, if there is somebody in the church that is in sin, this is kind of a, an order of how the leadership should look at this, and maybe the one person that knows about it or has, has been hurt by it, maybe that I'm hurt, maybe it's sin outside the church. But you go to them, he talk about it. If that doesn't work, he says, bring a couple. If that doesn't work, bring it for, before the church, okay? So, so Jesus' transition from reaching lost people to how to restore people. Now, I've got ice cream up here. I'm gonna explain why there's a picture of ice cream. Some of you, you're just like, we know Chris. It, he'll fit it in, right? Right, like he, it always comes back to ice cream. But, but here's the deal. I'm working in Esterville, Iowa, a Baptist church over there. And I've been there about five years, and, and I'm pretty good friends with another youth pastor in town that works at a church just down the way, just down the hill. And this guy had been there a couple years. Him and I are friends. We do ministry together. He's doing a good job. And the church hired a new senior pastor in. And the church government, the church was set up so that that pastor could come in. And if he wanted to, he could clear house. He could bring in his own youth pastor, his own staff. He could let people go. And that was in their bylaws. It was doing nothing wrong. They set that up. And that's sometimes good for a guy, if he's got a team, to come in and do that. Well, this guy came in, and he came in from the cities, Twin Cities, and he had a, a guy that could play guitar and was really good at connecting with teens, and he just had a guy named Joe that he wanted to bring down with him. And so he came down, and he, he kind of met with Brian for about one month, but I think we knew all along, this is not going to go anywhere. And finally, he let Brian go, okay? Now, Brian, again, a friend of mine, a youth pastor, godly man, uh, that hurt. That hurt bad, because it wasn't like um, Brian had the job at a at, and at and he lost his, his job. I mean, it means he has to move. It means he has to change churches. His friends were in that church. He really loved the ministry he was in and the teens that he was working with. You understand how that displaced Brian in a lot of ways. Brian was broken over that, and, and I knew that, and I was going along for the ride with Brian, and I'll never forget, after a couple of weeks, a, a common friend of Brian and I came to me and said, Hey, Chris, Brian is really tanking right now. Um, he's, he's uh, kind of drowning his sorrows every night, if you know what I mean. I'm, I'm not talking about a country song, okay? Like, he is, he's turning to alcohol as his coping mechanism. And, and, and he's just getting drunk to deal with this. And I said, okay, okay, so Brian's not handling this well, he's not coping with it well. So I got together with Brian, we went out and we went to Dairy Queen. Because, um, you know, this is kind of a church breakup. I know, I know a lot of times you think of that ice cream as what you do when you break up, right? Church breakups, ice cream works just as well. So I, I take Brian out. And we're having our Dairy Queen, we're having our Blizzard, I said, Brian, man, how are you doing? And it always starts with love. It always starts with love. But we just talk, and he tells me his hurts. I said, hey, man, here's the deal. How are you dealing with this? And he was honest with me. I said, man, you know, I don't want you to be so hurt by this that it kicks you out of ministry. It hurts your relationship with Jesus. Let's talk about a better way to handle this, okay? So, so what I did there was it was a one-on-one meeting with Brian, and it went well, and he responded well. But that's really what's put there in Matthew 18 is this this Kind of formal. How to meet with a brother that's that's struggling or getting into something they ought not get into. You get to verse twenty one through twenty two, and this is Peter now. Okay, so Jesus has just said, "Look, here's the deal. This is how we fix broken relationships." And Peter often did this when you read through the Gospels. You'll see him do this all the time. He kind of comes up to Jesus after. He's like, "Jesus, can you kind of can you kind of walk me through how this works out?" And he goes, "Jesus, like, how many times should I forgive? Like, like seven? Like, is it that many?" And Peter now is, is, he's talking about like, no, that guy hurt me. How many times do I have to forgive him? And G, just so you know why Peter picked seven, there's a couple ideas. But back then, some of the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, had this idea that you got three strikes and you're out. Forgive them three times after that. Nope, too many times, they're done. So Peter's kind of doing this, like, I'll double it and add one. You know, like, that seems like a lot, seven. Some of you are like, yeah, seven seems like a lot of times to forgive a person. And Jesus answers, and he says, not seven, but 70 times seven. Or some some translations are 77, okay? And, And whether it was seven times 70 or 77, the point is, it's not that number. It's infinite. You keep going. As many as it takes is what Jesus is telling Peter. So that leads us right up to this parable. Right after that, Peter's asking, how many times do I have to forgive? Uh, Jesus says, let me, just, let me just put this in story form for you, Peter. And so he tells this parable about the unforgiving servant. Hopefully you're there in Matthew 18, and I'm gonna go ahead and walk us through this, like I usually do when I preach. I'm gonna go ahead and stop a few times and kind of explain a few things, but just follow along with me if you would. Matthew 18, and this is the ESV translation. The unmerciful servant. Therefore, Jesus is teaching, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed ten thousand talents. Ten thousand Would you turn to the person next to you and just say, That's that's a lot of talents. That's a lot of talents. That's a lot of talents. Okay. Now now turn back to that person and say, by the way, what, what is a talent? Go ahead, I'll let you all figure that out. You can tell me, okay? Um, Guys, sometimes when we reading scripture, there might be a name or a place or a, a monetary term that we don't understand. So a talent, if I can just walk you through this, I'll put a picture up here, okay? If today you owned, you owned one stock, one stock in Berkshire Hathaway, okay, let's get to that next scene there. If you own one stock in Berkshire Hathaway, we got it up there? Yeah. Do you realize that's worth over $400,000 right now? One single stock, Okay. I accept those for Christmas presents, by the way. If any of you got that and you're looking to bless a pastor for Christmas, you may do that. Okay. Um, the uh, Babe Ruth rookie card sells for about half a million dollars. Okay. Uh, this 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 uh, Lamborghini here is 50193. Okay. They probably knock a few off the top, and make a, a, a cool half million. Uh, and then a lot of nice houses in Spencer or Spirit Lake are selling for about a half million dollars. But can I just tell you one talent back then? Was, was equal to about half a million dollars by our standards, okay? So when Jesus says, I'll just do the math for you, when Jesus says uh, not 10,000 talents, if we just did straight math, it'd be about $5 billion today. So two things to say about that. Number one, um, that's actually not high enough because Jesus' point, nobody back then, no single person back then had $5 billion worth of stuff. Today, there's a handful of people on earth that actually could be like, sure, can I just write you a check for that? But it would be like Jesus today saying, look, this is a trillion-dollar debt. No individual can cover that. It's a trillion-dollar debt. It's beyond what anybody can have. Also, it's not like one person stole that amount. This, This analogy, almost this guy almost would have had to be like a governor or somebody in charge of a lot of money that was doing some really shady stuff to lose that amount of money. So anyway, you got to understand, when Jesus is talking to this guy and he's telling this parable, he picks a dollar amount that nobody is paying back in any lifetime, okay? Let's keep going. And since he could not pay his master, um, his, sorry, since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So that was common back then. If you could not pay your debt, you could be sold into slavery where for a time you worked and worked it off. Or maybe even your children would be sold into slavery to work it off for you. So, so that could be done. Um, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now, that's just kind of funny. Because imagine, I mean, really, imagine you owe a trillion dollars. I mean, how do you beg? Like, give me two weeks, okay? It's two weeks, I'll get, I'll get that together. No, he's never coming up with this. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28. This is one of the strangest things you read in all of scripture. It's just hard to believe this. And it's a parable, but it's just hard to imagine this. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Turn to the person next to you and say, A hundred, that's a lot. Okay, turn to that person, What's a denarii? A denarii was about what you would make like basic labor for a day's worth of work. So if you were to do the math and say what does minimum wage pay today if you worked an 8-hour day? So I'm going to put on this a value of about $100. Okay? So the guy owed him 100 $100 bills about $10,000. Now, can I just tell you real quick that is not chump change. That's not chump change. That you know, it's a half year salary, maybe 5 months of salary. Maybe it's maybe it's today's economy maybe closer to 20,000. The point is, it was not peanuts. It was not like, oh, let me go, lift up the furniture of my, you know, the cushions of my couch, and I'll just scoop that out for you. It was a pretty significant debt, but it was a real debt that could be paid. So he owes him 100 denarii, and this guy seizes him, and he begins to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down, and he pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. This guy refused, and he went and put him in prison until he could pay his debt. Now, If you just scan, if you compare verse 29 and you look back up to 26, the language is almost identical. I mean, it's almost the exact same sentence, but the response is so different. And what blows your mind is that this guy had just been forgiven like a trillion dollars worth of debt, and him and his family were going to be sold into slavery. But he lets that go, and he's angry with this other guy, and he has him thrown in prison. In the parable, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and he said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt, all of his debt. That means for life. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, there's a couple things I have to clear up real quick here. What Jesus is communicating here in this parable is that God cares a lot about, one, us understanding how much we've been forgiven by him, Two, that that changes us to where we are gracious, merciful people towards others. Okay, But what Jesus is not saying here, please hear this. He is not saying you can lose your salvation if you don't forgive. That's not what Jesus is saying. He is not saying we have a workspace salvation where you have to do things to be saved. What Jesus is saying really is, in a lot of ways, for the, the Christian who's been forgiven much, When we forgive others, that is proof of our salvation. So Jesus is kind of saying, hey, guys, like if you are not wanting, willing to forgive, I'm going to go here and say, you didn't have it. You just didn't have it. Um, It's not that you can lose it. It's just that, man, it is such a sign of the Christian. Now, I do want to pump the brakes real quick and tell you this. I'm going to put this next slide up here. If you're sitting here and you're saying, Chris, I have anger and hate in my heart for somebody, and I have not forgiven them yet please hear me. I am not saying you are not a Christian or you are not saved. But what I will tell you is, for you as a Christian, there should be a strong desire in your heart to get to the point of forgiveness. Would you just nod if that makes sense? I'm not saying you're not saved if you're a Christian and you have anger or, or bitterness or something. What I'm saying is you should care about that and want to fix it. Um, this picture was taken in, I think, 2016, 2017. This is out in Colorado. I took a, a mission trip out there with several of our students from the church in Esterville. And uh, I've got marked here two of the students. Now, the, the way this matted or formatted it, it cut it off. But the guy right here with the arrow on top is David. And the guy on the bottom is Owen. David and Owen. We're in Colorado here, uh, a mission trip. In my life, if we could rewind to the previous fall. I just wanted you to see a picture of them. The previous fall, I'm at a different camp, but these two are there. This camp is Iowa Regular Baptist Camp in Clear Lake, Iowa. And we're there, and on Saturday night, Owen and David are both in my small group, and we've just had a talk on anxiety and what makes us anxious. And one of the things that came up is things that hurt us. And so one of the questions that we had to discuss in our small group was, hey, please share... What is the greatest pain you've ever had and rank it on a chart of 1 to 10? What is the greatest pain you've ever had and rank it on a chart of 1 to 10? And as we're going, Owen was like second. And I knew Owen really well. Love Owen. Owen is like a sensitive guy. He's this nice guy. He wants to be friends with everybody. And he's really hurt when, he doesn't, when things aren't right with people. And Owen actually starts to tear up and he says, I have a friend at school who, in the, like, this year so far, remember, this is October, uh, the fall, He goes, she has stabbed me in the back, she's talked trash about me, she's kind of ghosted me on, on social media, and she's kind of unfriended me in every way possible. And, and it just hurts so bad to have a friend do that to me. And I'm just hurting for him. I, Owen, oh, what, what ranked that for us? And he goes, it's a 10, Chris, it, is a, it hurts so bad. And I'm like, okay, thank you, you know, we keep going. And then we get to David. And remember, we're meeting in the fall. In February of that year, David and his family was at Awana on a Wednesday night. Their mom picks him up, drives home to the trailer park in Esterville, and as they're going, the kids, in the mobile home, she is shot and killed right in front of them by her ex-boyfriend. I mean, dies right there. So now it gets to David. And and I'm just kind of swallowing going into this because I know David's. And David goes, well, Chris, you know, I mean... Obviously, it's when my mom was killed, um, and, and that's a 10. And we talked through that a little bit. And I saw over here, Owen starts tearing up because it just kind of calibrated things for him, you know? Now, in Owen's defense, young man, junior higher, like a, a, that was the most he'd ever been hurt by his friend, and that felt like a 10. But Owen goes, Chris, I, I should just change mine. I'm sorry. Mine's like a three or a, a two or a one. And I said, Owen, it's okay, man. You're just being real, and David's had pain. But I just want to tell you guys real quick before we move on, You know, when we talk about forgiveness, sometimes it's little things. Some of you have legitimate tens. Some of you have, compared to me, 11s and 12s, okay? I'm not being glib about this. Jesus does want you to forgive those big ones. But I would never come to David and say, hey, man, it's been six months. Are you sure you're? No, he's working through the greatest pain of his life. Are you with me, church? So I just want you to know I realize and Jesus realizes some things hurt. And something's just hurt. Okay, let's move on, and we'll get back to that in a little bit. But I do want to talk about apologizing before we get into application. We just talked about uh, the, the kind of Jesus, uh, you know, his parable for forgiveness. But I want to talk about apologizing. That's the other side. What about when you're the one that did the wrong thing? You're not the one hurt. You're the offender. What do we do? Um, you don't have to turn here, but in First Samuel 15, King Saul. Israel King Saul is told to go to war with the Amalekites, and he's told, when you go to war, you take out everything. You destroy everything. They're not to be left because they will cause future problems if you do. Wipe it out. So Saul goes to war, and I'm going to give you four examples of how not to apologize, and then we're going to get into how to apologize, okay? One, how not to apologize. What about when you're the one who messed up, what not to do? Don't deny it. If you like to fill in the blanks, don't deny it, okay? Okay. 1 Samuel 15, Samuel walks up to Saul, and Saul says, "Uh, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the command of the Lord. So basically, Samuel walks up to Saul, and he's like, hey, man, I did it. I did it. And I love Samuel's response. Samuel says, what then is this bleeding of of sheep in my ears and this lowing of oxen? that I hear. Can I walk you through this if you're not picking it up? Basically, Saul's wiping everybody out. He's killing everything. And then he comes across what I would say is some prime Angus beef. And he's like, dang, the Amalekites got some Kobe stuff going on over here. And he kind of thinks, gee, maybe we'll just take these sheep and these oxen and these cattle back with us because these are top of the line but that wasn't what God told him to do. And so when he sees Samuel, he's like, Samuel, I did it exactly as God said. And Samuel's like, "Uh, excuse me, could you say that again? Because I can't quite hear you over these sheep and oxen and cows. What was that you said? And Saul gets it. But Saul basically starts by denying it. He's like, yeah, I did what I was supposed to. Hey, guys, when you do something wrong, please don't deny it. Oh, that hurts, that hurts. Number two, how about if we do not make excuses? Now, I do think, please hear me, I will sometimes say when I'm apologizing, can I give you the reason for this? This is not an excuse, but I want you to understand. And again, there's an apology, a true apology. So there are times where you have to explain something, but do not excuse it if you've done wrong, okay? Here's the next thing Paul does. Saul said, well, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice the Lord your God. Do you notice how Saul, by the way, a little side note, says your God, not our God? Kind of tells you where Saul was at with God. To sacrifice the Lord your God, and the rest we've devoted to destruction. In other words, Samuel puts him in a space and he says, Hey, what are all these sheep doing here? Is there a fair coming up? And Saul's like, uh, No, we're, oh, those are for sacrifices. And he's full of it because they weren't. So Saul just makes excuses. He actually lies right there. And the third thing, don't blame others. You read a little farther and Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned, so he confesses it. He says, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. And here's why. I feared the people and I obeyed those voices. Hey, hey, Samuel, I'm sorry, man. The people made me do it. I listened to the people. It's kind of their fault. Do we do that sometimes when we do cheap apologies? Oh, I'm sorry. It It was everybody else's fault. So first he denies it. Second, he excuses it. And third, he kind of blames it. Guys, don't do apologies like that. I'm going to give you one other way not to apologize. This is in First Corinthians, uh, First Christopher eight, 8 to 9. First Christopher 8 to 9. Hopefully you're not turning there, okay? I shouldn't hear any pages turning. Uh, First Christopher is me, okay? This is out of my life, okay? Uh, I was between 8 and 9 years old. This is like back when I was in elementary school, okay? But this is a very real one. Please, when you're apologizing, don't apologize for how they feel. Can I ask you, church, real quick? Have you ever had somebody say, I'm sorry you feel that way? Raise your hand if you've ever had somebody say that. Doesn't that make you just want to reach out and just touch their nose? You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm sorry. Here's what happens. This is like elementary school. One of the best summers of my life. I grew up in Iowa City, and every day we would do one of three things. Sometimes we did all three things. We'd either ride around town on our bikes, or we'd go to the pool, where we'd play sandlot baseball. We did sandlot baseball more than anything else. And one day we are out playing sandlot baseball, and the guy that was there, now he was not a friend of mine, but he was a neighborhood kid, Sean Humphreys. He's up to bat, and he strikes out, and he didn't like the call whatever. And he's walking away. And I get up, and I'm in the batter's box, and I have my bat, and I'm just kind of standing there like I'm ready to go. Bat's right here. Are you with me? You with me? And Sean walks away, and he goes, whatever, and he flips his bat. And as his bat comes at me, I'm standing here, and I look at him. And his bat hit my bat pew, right into my forehead. And then his bat ricocheted off my bat and hit me in the back of the head. It was like tink, okay? It knocks me down. I get up. I have a huge headache. I quit the baseball. I go home. I have a headache all day. My mom takes me to the hospital. I got a concussion from that, from that bat toss, which hit my bat. And then his bat hit me in the back of the head. Now, Sean never gave any sort of apology for that. But can you imagine if Sean did come over to my house and said, Man, Chris... I'm just so sorry that you have a bad headache. Man, Chris, I'm just sorry that, that you have a concussion and that you had to go to the hospital. I'm just, that must be terrible. I'm just so sorry you feel that way. You know, I'd probably tell Sean, shut up and say you're sorry for hurting me. Like you knocked me in the head twice. Don't, don't apologize for how I feel. How I feel is right, I should be hurt apologize for what you did. So please remember those things before we move on with apologies, good apologies, or bad apologies would be, don't deny it, don't make excuses, don't throw others under the bus, don't apologize for how they feel. Hey, let me tell you about apologizing, and, and there are not many things in life, Dan, there's not a ton of, like, I think you're like Mr. Banker, right? You're a pro. You, there's not a lot of things in life that I'd be like, Dan, I'm really good at this. Re- apologizing, I'm really good at, okay? Like, I, I mess up so much, and I'm not, I'm not making light of this. Like, I, it's just like a daily thing, and I, I wish it wasn't. But I goof up so often, it's a regular thing. Plus, you, those of you that know me know I got four boys, right? Ages uh, 10 to 15. So, do you understand when I'm not dressed like this for church? I just got like a referee shirt on, and I'm just calling it like I see it at home, okay? So, I'm kind of a pro at apologizing. But can I walk you through? Don't ever do the apologies. It's just like, this is what I see all the time with my kids. I'm sorry. And it's even like that, the tone, the hands, I'm sorry. No, an apology has a few aspects to it. One, admit what you did, and can I beg you to do it this way? Don't wait till you got caught. Man, guys, if you're doing something, ladies, if you're doing something, I strongly encourage you to let the Holy Spirit convict you, and you apologize because it's wrong, not because you got caught. So number one, you admit what you did. That means an apology actually starts with, hey, this happened. I'm aware of this. I know you feel this way, but you feel this way because I kind of hit you in the head with a baseball bat. An apology has what you did in it. It's admitting that. Number two, you tell the person you are sorry for what you did. And I keep telling my kids this. You know, if you're looking off this way, but you offended him, but you're looking this way saying I'm sorry, that's not really communicating you're sorry. An apology is you look at me and you're like, I am really sorry that I did that. I regret that I did that. A third part is to ask if they forgive you. This happens probably once a month in my own family. My sons and I, they did something wrong, I did something wrong. We're trying to squash a beef, and I've said sorry, and it just doesn't feel like we're there yet. And I just say, hey, guys, like seriously, do you forgive me for that? So ask for forgiveness. And then the last part is to say, is there anything I can do to make this right? Is there anything I can do to make this right? Sometimes there is nothing. It's just the apology. Sometimes it's like, no, you broke that. You could replace it. That would help. So ask what you can do to make it right, all right? We're going to slip into our application. I've got three points for us. We're going to skip to application here. If you're on the outline, that's right there with you. Application point number one, please be quick to apologize. Be quick to apologize. Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching this amazing lesson. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, it's this serious. Leave your gift before the altar, and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So can I just tell you guys, when it comes to the apology side, if you need to apologize to somebody, and you realize that, you want to be quick to do that. Now there are times where I will take a day or two to pray through what's the best way to do this, what's the best place to do this, how can I do this right. But listen, Dick, I'm going to use an example. Let's say I offend Dick, and I realize, like, like, like after church, I do something and it hurts your feelings. And after church, I'm riding home, and I realize, man, I I really stepped on Dick's feet, his toes. I I hurt his feelings. You know, if I take, if I wait till I see you again, Dick, and it could be a week, and it could be a month, you're sitting on that. I, I sometimes think of like a splinter that you get. You ever get a splinter? You want to get that out right away. So if I've offended somebody, I really want to relieve them of that as quick as possible and not let it sit there and fester. So please be quick to apologize. Um... Number two, forgive fully. Now, did you catch what I did there? I did not necessarily say you have to forgive quickly because you know David, David can't forgive quickly for what happened to his mom. But we need to forgive fully. Forgiveness, this is a, a quote I once heard, forgiveness doesn't change the past, but it changes the future, okay? So forgive fully, this doesn't mean that we ignore what happened and we ignore the pain. Listen, if somebody totally hurts you, Somebody totally hurts you. Forgiveness doesn't mean you say, oh, it's no big deal. Or, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. No. Forgiveness actually is like, no, that hurt. But I forgive you. I accept you. I forgive you. Okay? So forgiveness actually acknowledges what happened. It doesn't mean we ignore it. Number two, this, this is probably, you might want to take notes on this one. Forgiveness does not require an apology. You can forgive without that person ever apologizing. I've got up here Dan's Smoke Breaks. One of my last churches, I attended with a guy named Dan. Dan was amazing. Dan was a friend of mine. Dan, uh, before he moved to Esterville, worked out in uh, the East Coast. I forget where he's at, but he had, I think it was a factory job. And Dan told me, he used to have a job where he would get a break every hour. He'd go on these smoke breaks, and he'd get a break every hour. And here's the funny thing about it. Dan didn't smoke. Dan doesn't smoke. I said, like, well, Dan, why are you taking so many smoke breaks? And he goes, well, Chris, I was there a couple weeks and I realized everybody else there smoked and they would take a break every hour, so I wanted a break. Because they all got a break, I thought it was fair. So Dan, every hour, would tell everybody, I'm going out on a smoke break, and just go out there and hang out with people. Also, kind of weird, Dan is one of the hardest workers I've ever met. Dan wasn't looking to be lazy or to carve out five minutes of his work day to be on the phone. Dan was a hard worker. But like, some of you know people like this. Dan had a thread that went all the way down in him, which was fairness. Fairness was huge to Dan. So if they got a five-minute break, Dan should get a five-minute break too. He should. So check this out. If you understand Dan, I'm going to bring it to this. Dan, if he ever wronged you, would be very quick to apologize. It would be sincere. He's a godly man. Dan, if you ever hurt him and apologize to him, Dan would be so quick to honestly and fully forgive you. That was Dan. He was forgiving. You want to know what Dan really wrestled with? Forgiving people who never came to him and said, I'm sorry for what I did. Dan had family members, Dan had coworkers that he just had some troubles with because in his mind, they had wronged him and it wasn't fair to just forgive them. You know what's ironic about that? Dan's exactly right. Dan, we're not asking to be fair right now. We're asking to be merciful and gracious. So so I bring Dan up because here's the deal. Forgiveness does not require an apology. I'm going to give you a few examples of when that happens. Hey, there's times in your life, somebody might have hurt you a year or two ago, and they have left town. You don't have their number, and you don't have their contact, and you don't see them anymore, but you still need to forgive them. I want to make sure you stay with me right now. This happens a lot where people are gone. It might have been something in childhood, and they're gone, and you won't see them again. But you can still forgive them without them ever reaching out to you and saying, I'm sorry. Sometimes the person is dead. I've met people in counseling that have been hurt very badly by family members, maybe a bad grandpa, a bad uncle that passed away. They still needed to forgive that person, but there was no chance of talking to that person or being apologized to. We can still forgive for that. Another one, and this is the one that hurts me the most, is when they just don't care. And and this just happens. But there's times where people in your life will hurt you, and they were out of line. In fact, everybody you know knows it was out of line. But they're not going to apologize. They could care less about you or what they did. You know what? We still are supposed to forgive them. And I feel like I wish I had one more sermon to do to weave the Holy Spirit into this. But God doesn't just leave you sitting there like, hey, figure it out, right? Like, Like rub some dirt on it. Pull your, come on! No, he's like, the Spirit will help you with this. I wish I had a whole sermon to weave that in. But there are times people just don't care, and we can still forgive them. The last one, which I think is really important, because this, this is like 90% of forgiveness. Like, I don't go to somebody every time they hurt me and say, hey, you offended me. It's like a level one, but we got to talk this out. Am I right? I mean, a lot of relationships, a lot of friendships, a lot of working relationships are like, wow, they did something that was kind of offensive. I wouldn't have done that to them. But we let it go. We forgive it. And a lot of we don't have to have that whole conversation of you're sorry I forgive you. We, you just say hey man, I'm not perfect. They're not perfect. I'm gonna chalk that up to two imperfect people working together. I'm gonna forgive them. So a lot of forgiveness actually comes without an apology attached. Okay, uh, let me keep going here under forgive fully. Some things take a while to forgive. Now I've given you this morning, four examples. Of offenses. One had to do with my luggage. Two had to do with hurt from friends. Remember Owen and his friend, that kind of friend dumped him. The third one had to do with my friend Brian that was fired from a church. And the fourth one was David when his mother was shot. Can I just tell you, um, some things we get over quickly and we can forgive quickly. And some things, I mean, this is just life. This is real. Some things take months and years. Christians, please hear me right now. David needs to get to that place where he forgives his mom's ex-boyfriend. The main thing is that he be on the wrestling mat with God to help him understand that and get there. I do not know of a fast-forward button that can make that happen quicker. It's him and God working through it. But the main thing, Christians, is that we've got to be willing to step on that mat and say, okay, God, (laughs) this is going to stink. But you need to work this out of me to where I can forgive them. This is going to be hard. Um, David needs that. David needs that. Um, D, we forgive because we've been forgiven. We forgive because we've been forgiven. A great quote I like, forgiveness is giving others what God gave you. I do think it's radically different when I ask a Christian to forgive somebody Don't want to ask somebody that does not know the grace of God to forgive somebody. You understand that? Uh, And E, forgiveness is healthy. Do you understand forgiveness is healthy? You can go to that next slide. That's no problem. I've got a picture up here. Who can tell me who Carrie Fisher is? Who knows who Carrie Fisher is? Yes. Who was it? Princess Leia, right? Okay. Um, Scott, sorry, I was calling on you because, real quick, who here under 20 years old knows who Princess Leia is? or who Carrie Fisher is. Okay, you did too. Okay, great. So most people, she's not really well-known name because she was really only in a few movies. Now, granted, they did pretty well at the box office, right? They kind of stuck, but can I, can I just tell you something? Carrie Fisher had a hard life. She was used and abused and just spit out in Hollywood. I mean, used by men in Hollywood. She would have been one of the first women of the frontier of, of the hashtag YouTube movement. She would have been one of the first women to say, Hollywood is a bad place. Carrie Fisher has a quote, and again, she's not a Christian, and she's not a theologian, but she understands pain. She says, resentment is like drinking poison and wanting the other person to die. So can I just tell you one of the reasons we forgive is it's healthy for us. It's healthy for us. Um, I want to get on to our third point and our final point of application. That's we seek reconciliation. And can I just kind of draw the difference for you real quick? Reconciliation is restoring a relationship to harmony. So when it comes to apologizing, that ball is in my court. I can choose to apologize. That's totally in my court. When it comes to forgiveness, even if it takes months or years, that ball is in my court. I can choose to forgive, right? God will help, but but I can choose that. Restoration... Truly, the ball is out of your court. If Dick and I do have an issue, I can apologize to him, but he might not forgive me. So, restoration is the ideal. When we have messed up or been hurt against and we forgive and we fix that relationship, hey, church, that does not always happen. It's best when it does, but it doesn't always happen. Um, I kind of want to set up for you uh, a video. We're going to close with a a video, and then we won't go there yet. Though we're going to close with a video, and then I'm going to walk us through a, a, a little bit of a prayer time. But I want to set this up, um, and this has to do with restoration. Uh, this is video from a, a court case, actually. It's, it's, it's in a courthouse, and what happened was back in 2018, September of 2018, down in Dallas, Texas, that was a police officer named Amber Geiger, and Amber was a Dallas police officer who got off work. Uh, 9 30 at night one night she'd worked a 13 and a half hour shift and she drives home she's in a new apartment she's been there about two months and she parks in the parking ramp and she gets out of her car and she's on her phone and as she's walking to to the apartment she notices the door is not closed all the way it's cracked open which is a major concern to her now here's where the tragedy of all this happens amber's on the fourth floor of the apartment building Her apartment is on the third floor. She made the mistake coming off the ramp of going up instead of down. And on the other side of that door is a 26-year-old man named Botham. Botham is sitting on his couch eating ice cream. And from his perspective, a woman walks in, and he thinks he's being robbed, and he stands up very quickly. We don't know if it was to advance or retreat, but he stands up very quickly because he's in his apartment eating ice cream. And she walks into what she thinks is her apartment. Now we're on her side of the door, and she sees a pretty healthy 26-year-old man stand up. She doesn't even realize it's not her apartment, and she pulls her gun and she shoots him twice in the chest, and both of them dies on the way to the hospital. So that's September of 2018. You fast forward; um, she is charged with murder for extreme neglect. She's charged with murder in Dallas. Um, October 1st, 2019, so about a year later, she's found guilty, October 1st. And then on October 2nd is the day when they tell her what her sentence will be. But before they tell the sentence, and this happens in most trials, um, they have family members can come and share their feelings. Um, they can talk to the judge about how they feel, and that could influence the judge. They can talk to the court. They can talk to the defendant, the person that did the crime. And so this is that day. This is before the sentence She's been found guilty. This is October 2nd. Could we go ahead and play that tape? This is Brant, um, the brother of Boda. Make sure we got good sound. I don't want to say,
1: say twice, twice or, or for the hundredth time. time. What, what you you've, or how, how much, much you take from us, us. I, think I think you know, you know that, that. But I just, I just I hope you go, go to God, God with all with all, all, the all the guilt. guilt. All, All of the, things, the bad things you may have done, done in, done in the, the past, each, each and every one of us may have done something that we were not supposed to do. To do. If, if, if truly you truly are, are sorry, I know I, know, I, can, I can speak, speak for, for myself, myself I, 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 forgive I forgive you. you. And, and I know I if you if go, go to God, God and ask Him, him he, he will forgive you. you. And And I don't don't think anyone anyone can say it, again, again, I'm speaking speaking for myself, myself, not not even bad bad for for my family, family. but But I love love you just just like anyone else. else. And And I'm I'm not going to say I I hope you you rot and and die just just like 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 my brother brother did, but but I I personally want the best best for you. for you. you. And I, no, I wasn't going to say, say this, in, this front in front of my family or, or anyone, anyone, but I don't I even want, want you to, to, go to, go to go to jail. jail. I, want I want the, the best, best for, for you. you. Because, because I know, I know that's, that's, what, that's exactly what both, both of them want, want you to do. do. And, and the, the best, best would be give your, your life, life to Christ. Christ. I'm not gonna say anything anything else. else, I think think giving giving your your life life to Christ would be the best thing thing that both of us want you to do. Again, Again, I love love you you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on on you. you. I don't, I don't know if know this is possible, possible but, but can, can I go uh, please? please? Please please. Yes. yes.
0: yeah um that's a big one i mean that's a big one that was almost textbook i mean did you hear him acknowledge it hurt he expressed a love for her a forgiveness and then to, to i mean to turn to the judge and just say can i can i give her is this even allowed but can i give her a hug um too often i and too often christians we we don't get her i think he got that right I think he got that right. And again, I'll say, I don't think that happened. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit, I think, working through him right there. Um, we're called to forgive. I know some forgivenesses are small. I know some are huge. I know some, uh, not forgivenesses, offenses, I'm sorry, are small, and some are huge. I know sometimes um, you're like, you know, they're not level 10 offenses, but they're like level 4, 5, and 6, but they've been happening for years. Some of you, it's like, I'm in the middle of it. It's not done yet. But we are called to forgive The Spirit can help us do that. Uh, What I want to do to wrap up with, I mean, I've tried to tell you what the Bible says, the Holy Bible. I'd like to turn it over to the Holy Spirit and let Him speak to you. And so what I've asked is if Jeremy and the worship team would be willing to come up. And I'm going to just walk you through this. I'm going to set it up this way. Um, If you were to come to my house and you were to come through my garage, my garage is about a, a 24 by 24 garage. And then on the back of my garage, there's a six foot deep by 24 foot extension where we have like all kinds of shelving and we have bins and it's kind of our big storage unit. If you were to come with me back there, I would just show you and you would see this. When you walk through there, sometimes there's like hoses that are unraveled that are sitting there. There's like scooters that are in the wrong spot. And about twice a year, you guys, about twice a year, I go there and I just clean it. And some of the stuff I pick up, I walk by it every day. I know it's there, I know it needs to be picked up. But it never fails. When I'm moving boxes, there's times I'll open a box. I'm like, oh, I forgot I even had that. Maybe I need to throw that out. Maybe I need to fix that. Maybe that goes in the kitchen. You'll, you'll, you'll find stuff you didn't even remember you had. And I just want to wrap up today. I want to give us just two to three minutes where, where if you can imagine going to your hurt garage, and there might, I mean, there might be some stuff, and you're like, I, I know that's there. I've just been kind of turning my head when I walk through it, but I know it's there, and I should probably deal with that. And some of you... What we're about to do in the silence when God speaks, you might just say, oh, man, God opened a little box I didn't even realize, but it's there. Some of you, it might be something you had forgotten, but, man, you need to apologize, you need to forgive. But I just want to give you two, three minutes where you can go to God and just ask two or three questions. One is, God, is there anyone that, that I have hurt accidentally, purposefully, once a million times little big that I need to apologize to and if so would you tell me now I'm going to tell you how this works in my life a lot of times I'll see an image of a person God doesn't speak audibly but I'll see an image of a person say okay God I got you the second thing I want to ask is God is there anybody that like I'm holding something against I'm angry I'm mad I'm I got bitterness and I need to let that go some of you might even be like this. God, I know that box is there. I might not be ready to get to that box today, but can you help me get closer to that box? Can you help me get on the wrestling mat with you, God? We got to deal with that. And then the last thing is I just want you to ask if God gives you somebody to forgive or somebody to apologize to, I want you to ask him to help you do that, to humbly just say, I probably can't do this solo. Can you help me with this? Would you just take two minutes of silence? We're just going to have a little bit of soft background music. And after a bit, I'll close us some prayer. Let's let let the Holy Spirit take us home on this one. Let's let him finish us. Jesus, I just want to lead us into this by saying, would your spirit speak? If there's somebody we need to forgive, if there's somebody we need to apologize to, would you reveal that? And would you help us with that? Take a couple minutes. Spirit, I do want to ask for any this, anyone in this room that went into that back garage storage room of hurts. It's not a fun room to be in. Whether we offended or were hurt, but Spirit, I just pray if you revealed in the last two minutes, maybe over the next Done with that. It is no surprise or coincidence that by far forgiveness was the number one thing we wanted to learn about this summer. I deal with it, we all deal with it. Spirit thinks we don't have to deal with it. Please help us.